What you gonna do? That coming for you. Hey everyone, Cop Block Radio. Let's do this again. December 7th, 2016. Oh, and there's a big update this week. Remember that video of the cop who was shot? Uh, well, the, the video was shot of the cop shooting another guy as he was running, and the cop shot him in the back. His name was Michael Slager. That's the cop's name. And it looks like he has been, you know, he's been put on trial. 11 out of 12 jurors say clearly guilty. We watched him shoot the guy on video. But one lonely juror is just not sure. You know, he's always been told that the cops are just great and they would never do anything wrong to hurt anybody. Clearly, if a cop is shooting someone in the back, he must have a good reason for it. Well... That resulted in a hung jury and a mistrial. Uh, Very disappointing for many uh, supporters of police accountability. You know, when you get something like that on video, it should be an open and shut case. But propaganda is so strong that people are still uh, supporting the, the police, even though they're clearly a murderer in this situation. So I've got the story at coplock.org. My name's Derek J. Of course, uh, you can listen to the show, coplock.org slash show or lrn.fm, the Liberty Radio Network. Uh, Let's get into some of the headlines that we're going to have for today. Um, Fast food employee arrested for battery on an officer after spiking drinks with mustard. Cop convicted of robbing a Christmas charity to help disadvantaged kids. And there's no such thing as fake news. What we have is an intellectual crisis. Cop Block writer views unreleased Jay Anderson footage and shares his experience. Yet another report on extrajudicial killings backs up Jamaican human rights defenders' calls for police reform. Citizens of Portsmouth, Virginia, forced to pay a million dollars to compensate family uh, for William Chapman's murder. Wisconsin ACLU says no reason for Wauwatosa police to withhold Anderson footage. The drug war is state-sanctioned rape. Cop in Indiana shoots the family dog. The big lie. Criminals are anti-police. Man in bunny costume uses air horn in police station. Gets slapped. Cop gets charged. Big changes happening at Cop Lock. If cops don't turn on their body cameras, courts should instruct juries to think twice about their testimony. Cannabis is this remote Indian village's only livelihood, but machete-wielding police are problematic. Cop fired for challenging child to fight, also threatened to blow up a school. And I Love the Pigs by Guar. Uh, boy, we've got all that and, and more, so we're probably not going to be able to get to all of this. I'll leave the links in the show notes so that you can investigate further any stories that interest you. But let's turn to the big one this week, which has got to be that this cop went free, even though he clearly shot a guy in the back. What's the deal? So this was posted on coplock.org by Kelly Patterson, December 2nd. It's already had over 2,000 shares. He says, Yesterday, 
I posted about the fact that the murder trial of Officer Michael Slager had been turned over to the jury for deliberation on a verdict. Within that post, I discussed whether Slager would get away with the murder altogether or be given a light sentence via the lesser manslaughter charge. My bet has been on him walking free via a hung jury, since in order to do so, he only needs to have one out of the 12 jurors be a cop apologist that refuses to find him guilty. The chances of that happening, regardless of his actual guilt, are pretty good, and history has borne out that in previous trials of police. Earlier this afternoon, the first signs that he has hit that rigged lottery began to be reported. One singular juror has indicated that he is unwilling to convict Slager in spite of the video that clearly depicts him shooting Walter Scott in the back five times as he runs away. From NBCNews.com, quote, A lone juror said they cannot convict a white former police officer who fatally shot a black man in South Carolina, and the judge asked for clarification from the foreperson as to whether the jury is hopelessly deadlocked. The juror, in a letter to the court, said, quote, I cannot, in good conscience, consider a guilty verdict against Michael Slager, a former patrolman who pulled over Walter Scott in North Charleston and ended up shooting him as a bystander recorded the incident on video. The jury foreperson said in a separate note to the court that it was only one juror who was, quote, having issues. The juror opposed to conviction said in the letter, I cannot and will not change my mind. Slager said, uh, or Slager was charged with murder in Scott's killing, although the jury was allowed to consider a lesser charge of manslaughter in addition to murder. Slager's attorneys requested a mistrial. The wording is interesting in the two highlighted statements. Note that he doesn't say, I don't believe he is guilty. Or, I can't be convinced of his guilt. In essence, he says, I refuse to find him guilty. And that's the reality of the situation and the many, many situations that preceded it. It's not that they don't understand that they are guilty. They just refuse to render that verdict. They'll likely go through the motions for a bit longer before that request for a mistrial is granted. They may even decide to stage another trial to stave off the inevitable riots and protests for a while longer. However, they can only kick that can down the road so far. Michael Slager will walk, and he'll do it with a smirk on his face while discussing in interviews how difficult all of this was for him. Then he'll file for back pay and or reinstatement to the police force through his union. And he'll win, since he wasn't convicted. Well, I'd like to know the identity of this juror. It's not impossible to find out. You know, they don't release the names of these people 
during the trial, you know, they, they supposedly try to protect them. Uh, even the people filming the trial are supposed to not film the jury. But as a journalist, I've been at trials where I chased the jury down after they left. If they, uh, like, when Adamo was uh, tried for um, felony wiretapping in New Hampshire, I was at the trial here in Manchester, and I went right up to the jury as they left. You know, they went out the back door. They've got a secret back door. I went right up to them asking them, you know, what, why did you convict this man? Why did you think that he did wrong? I want to know. And, if, you know, they're not, they're just people, right? So if they're going to be responsible, if they're going to be the ones who are going to put it on their own shoulders to say, yes, yeah, send this man to prison on, and, and make everyone else pay for it, you know, take this man's freedom away from him. I damn well think they better be responsible for issuing that verdict. Who says that they should be uh, anonymous? You know, what good is that? What kind of protectors do we want in our community where people are issuing verdicts totally anonymously, have no consequences for bad actions? Like this asshole, you know, he's only comfortable saying, oh, you know, I'm not going to convict the guy because he knows that it's unlikely that people are going to find out his identity. Do you know what people who are not as nice as me might do if they encountered this guy in the street? Moving on. Fast food employee arrested for battery on an officer after spiking his drink with mustard. Okay, this is a weird one. And cops, you shouldn't be surprised if your food order gets messed up. Okay, by now you should know. Anywhere you go in uniform, you've got spit in your food. A McDonald's employee, oh, big surprise, it was in McDonald's in Topeka, Kansas, was charged with two counts of battery on an officer after purposely spiking their drinks with mustard. Worth it? We'll find out when Cop Block returns. Have you ever put any of your bodily fluids in a cop's meal? Not saying if I have or haven't, but, uh, man, this guy, he put mustard in this guy's drink, and unfortunately he was caught. You know, this can't be the first time that this cop is, is eating tainted food. Cops get used to it. It's been happening all your life. Your whole career you've been eating tainted food. Every time you walk around with that badge and ridiculous hat, we all know what an asshole you are. We can't get rid of you. We can't stop paying you, but we can mess up your food orders. So here's what the story is from uh, Brian Sumner, who writes copblock.org. Jonathan Gill, the employee fired for the prank, is now facing serious legal ramifications as a result of his actions. But one might consider the charges more of an act of vengeance than justified recourse. If Jonathan had spiked your drink with mustard, he would have been fired you would have had limited recourse when it comes to legal options. The establishment would more than likely comp your meal and maybe even offer you some complimentary meals if you choose to frequent their establishment. But if you tried to have their former employee arrested for battery, chances are you would be laughed at. Unfortunately for Jonathan, the people he chose to prank were cops. And there isn't much they aren't willing to do uh, <laughs> to punish you. Uh, in fact, 
The officer took a photo of his drink and then posted it to the Kansas Going Blue Facebook page in an attempt to drum up as much outrage as possible. They then followed up by pressing battery charges on the employee in an attempt to permanently damage his reputation for having the audacity to interrupt their day with his mischief. Okay, now I see the picture here, and it's clear that he used a lot of freaking mustard. Like, probably half the cup is mustard. It's a, it's a pretty clear 50-50 mix. Um, there's almost no <laughs> drink in there. I see some ice cubes um, and a lot of yellow. And it looks like the cop probably drank a little bit of it, too, because it's uh, it looks like about an inch is now gone. So he, he ingested a serious gulp uh, with his first sip. The uh, post that he made says... Uh, Officer safety alert! A McDonald's here in Kansas just served a law enforcement officer on duty, a Dr. Pepper with mustard in a drive through order. This is extremely unacceptable. According to the manager, this happened before with the Kansas Highway Patrol trooper. Now, maybe we should all remind them to go to the Taco Bell... <laughs> where this happened in Newton. Hashtag McDonald's. Hashtag Kansas going blue. And then they list the address and then a couple of uh, articles that it's been shared by. And, you know, the people are commenting down below. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, if I was that officer on duty, I would probably go inside and arrest him in front of everyone else. With the evidence as proof, we have the right to have our food not tampered with. Some kids must think it's funny until someone gets suck. Okay, then I guess he didn't finish his thought. <laughs> These people are so dumb. Oh, why do we have to pay for them? Oh, because they'll hurt us. Okay, so uh, in Kansas, state law defines battery as one, knowingly or recklessly causing bodily harm to another person. Okay, does mustard do that? I don't know, maybe if he's got an allergy. Two, knowingly, well, then it wouldn't be knowingly or reckless. It was intentional. Um, no, two, knowingly causing physical contact with another person when done in a rude, insulting, or angry manner. Hmm, causing physical contact. No, he didn't do that either. Mustard in one soda doesn't even come close to that definition, and it would appear that these officers are stretching the law in an effort to retaliate against individuals who don't respect them, proving once again there's no action so small the boys in blue will not try to have you imprisoned for it, and revealing the vengeance culture that the state and its actors thrive off of. While Jonathan may have been out of line when it comes to his actions, that does not mean there's a legitimate gripe against law enforcement when it comes to the marketplace. Unlike many other services, everyone is forced to pay for police, whether they agree or not. The employees of these establishments also create brand new wealth through their voluntary interactions with customers. On the flip side of that coin, the police are not forced to eat at McDonald's and have the freedom to dine wherever their heart desires. 
There are no mandates in place that dictate where the police have to eat. Plus, the police are paid through taxes taken from hard workers such as Jonathan Gill, and their services provided no, provide no new wealth to the economy. As such, are parasites operating within legal, a legal monopoly formed in order to maintain a stranglehold on the service of protection and the initiation of force, 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 force. <sighs> Funny story. Nailed it. Okay, here's a here's a funny one. Um, a guy in a bunny costume goes to the police station to turn himself in, and he brings an air horn along with him. A New Jersey cop seen on video last month slapping a man dressed in a bunny no. costume for blowing an air horn inside police headquarters was charged with assault. Kevin Hemrick. And I'm playing, playing the video in the background. Sussex County prosecutors charged Hapatakong police officer Nicholas J. Marsica Jr., age 44, with simple assault on December 2nd, two weeks after he was caught on video slapping Kevin Hemrick, 27, inside the Hapatakong police station on November 17th. Nicholas was upset at, yeah, at Kevin, <laughs> who decided to make the most of a bad situation and have some fun while checking himself into a jail for a short stay. So he, he donned a full-body bunny costume and walked into a police headquarters blasting an air horn before serving his sentence after failing to complete the sheriff's labor assistance program as punishment for crashing his car without insurance. Kevin's brother, Jason, egged his brother on as he recorded the video. A dispatcher sitting behind glass windows at the jail asks Kevin to stop blowing his, his horn, but Kevin responds by blowing the horn. A few minutes later, the fat cop, Nicholas, appears. He says, who's blowing the fucking air horn? Well, you can guess what happens next. We'll have the video for you when Cop Block Radio returns. Caesar said hi. Hey, Caesar. <laughs> Good. Would you do this? It's pretty funny. This guy's... Oh, a little loud. Boom, boom. Chicka, chicka. All right. So, yeah, this cop, he's about to have his day ruined because not only does he have to deal with some asshat in a bunny costume blowing an air horn in his office... Um, he's about to face some assault charges because he can't resist slapping a guy. Uh, so he comes up. Here's here's the audio. He's coming over to the guy. He's this just to refresh your memory. He's he's turning on turning himself in, and he's blowing an air horn. This cop comes over to him, <laughs> says, "Who's blowing the fucking air horn? You don't know." And then he slaps him in the face. You get to hear it too. It's pretty loud. 
Check it out. They're in the police station. Here comes Mr. Oh. Fat Cop, Nicholas. Blow the fucking air horn. Why are you doing that? You don't know? Hey, you don't fucking know? It slipped, brother. I'm you sorry, slipped? man. Yeah, you're on camera, bro. I don't really care. <laughs> I don't really fucking care. What are you doing here? He's turned himself in. For what? There's a warrant. Hey! Then they grab the I camera. Hope everybody on Facebook Live just saw this fucking cop hit my brother, and they're gonna get sued for fucking assault. Mm-hmm. Well, he did get he did face charges for assault. That guy was right. Um, according to Nicholas, the cop's defense attorney, he said his client acted appropriately and in accordance. Uh, in accordance with his training and experience. Oh yeah, it's it's a part of his training. Just slap people in the face. Sure. Okay. Ass hat. Uh, we're we're confident that Nicholas will be vindicated of one of the charges against him uh, when the case is addressed in a court of law. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's because it's your court, so it's it's likely that they're just going to throw it out. But there's no question. You you definitely assaulted the guy. Yeah. It's annoying when people have an air horn, but you started it. You caused all this problems, you know? You you know, don't start no shit, won't be no shit. Ever heard that? Well, cops are just the greatest. Take a listen to this story. Cop convicted after robbing Christmas charity to help disadvantaged kids. An Ohio cop has been convicted following accusations he stole upwards of $26,000 from a joint law enforcement agency fundraiser in Summit County last Christmas. What a Grinch. According to a release by prosecutors, Richfield police officer Michael Simmons was hired by the department in 1999 and started overseeing the department's participation in the seasonal Shop with a Cop program when it launched in 2003. In January of this year, Ohio Attorney General's office was notified that the program had exhibited unauthorized financial transactions, and State Criminal Investigations Bureau agents confirmed that thousands of dollars were unaccounted for. Every year, the Summit County Shop with a Cop program raises money to take impoverished children shopping for toys and gifts that their families might not be able to afford. The future of the program is uncertain. Yeah, it turns out you can't trust criminals with a bunch of money. Uh, as of now, it will be continued in the northern part of the county, like always, by several law enforcement agencies. But in the central and southern part of the county, a new program has been started called Christmas with a Cop. Michael Simmons gave us a huge black eye, Officer Don Patterson said, who works with the Cuyahoga Falls Police Department, one of the agencies still helping with the original Shop with the Cop program. It's not insurmountable, cops stealing from kids. It doesn't get much worse than that. Simmons was arrested in May, and on Thursday he pleaded guilty to grand theft, a fourth-degree felony. He was sentenced in Summit County Common Pleas Court to two years of probation plus 500 hours of community service and ordered to pay $15,000 restitution. Hey, 
Why not 26000 Isn't that what he stole? Well, it isn't clear why Simmons wasn't ordered to pay the entire $26,000 amount he allegedly stole. The 15000 however, must be paid to the Rickfield Police Department by March 15th, 2017. Fourth-degree felony convictions in Ohio traditionally carry a sentence of 6 to 18 months in prison. Hmm... So they usually get six to 18 months in prison. He gets zero days. Yeah, sounds about right. You know, stealing from underprivileged kids. Why not? According to investigators, Simmons spent the more than $26,000 on items for himself between 2010 and 2016 that included electronics, gift cards, tools, clothing, and sporting event tickets. In addition to the police agencies now participating in their respective shopping programs throughout Summit County, some departments have decided not to participate at all, rationalizing that Simmons' actions have tainted the charities to such an extent that officers do not feel comfortable still operating them. As for the Rickfield Police Department, Chief Kevin Morgan said that perhaps a few families might be sponsored this year, but the most pertinent matter is regaining public trust and rebuilding reputation. Conceding, quote, We all look bad, Morgan said. He has hopes of eventually rejoining Shop with a Cop. Isn't that nice? Moving on. Hmm. What should we do next? Hmm. How about cop shoots dog? This is always a good one. Why are the cops always shooting dogs? You know, somehow, the mailman, the UPS guy, the solicitors who come and, and try and sell you magazines, everybody has no problem dealing with dogs you don't hear about oh crazy dog bite there's dogs are are running wild dogs are are killing people they're they're injuring everybody you never hear about this but you're always hearing about cop shoots dog cop shoots family dog cop kills dog cop kills family pet this is always happening why take a listen all new tonight mishawaka police have released video of one of their officers fatally shooting a local family's dog it all happened at the end of October in a front yard on a home on Meridian Street. Our Sarah Rivest is live at the Mishawaka Police Station tonight with the update and the video you will only see on ABC 57 News. Sarah? Well, as you're about to see, at first the dog's owners were incredibly upset with this officer, but they tell me it was watching this video that really changed their minds. Now, we do want to warn you, some viewers may find this video upsetting. Department. Mishawaka 5-1 shots fired. Oh no, you did. It took just seconds and one shot. Tell me you didn't just kill that dog. Pork chop considered a best friend to the Weiss family. Oh chopper. Oh man. Newly released dash cam video from the car of the officer. Wearing a red bandana on his head? Yeah. Where is he? Responding to a home on Meridian Street to look for a missing teenager. 
if we're rightfully, you know, where we should be helping the public, um, we should be able to protect ourselves, and that's that's what happened here. What happened here, according to Assistant Chief Jason Stefaniak, was all by the book, a fenced-in yard and a beware of dogs sign, but police say this gate was open. He jingles on the fence several times in an effort to alert a dog if it was in the yard, no dog came. Knocking on the front door several times. Police department! The owner did indicate that he'd let the dog out. So why is it that mailmen and uh, delivery people, pizza guys, none of them are, are shooting cops? Or shooting, excuse me, shooting dogs? Freudian slip. Uh, but somehow these cops are just murdering family pets left and right. Breaking tradition here. I want to cover a story from the ACLU. We usually only read stories from copblock.org, but this one was promoted by Copblock Facebook page. So I think it's important to share with you. The ACLU says, headline, if cops don't turn on their body cameras, courts should instruct juries to think twice about their testimony by Matthew Siegel, legal director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, posted December 1st, 2016. Matthew writes, Since 2014, at least 14 people have been killed by police officers wearing body cameras that were either not turned on or not operational. Roughly two months ago, a law enforcer in Charlotte failed to activate his body camera before fatally shooting Keith Lamont Scott. On Wednesday, news broke that the officer who killed Scott will not face any charges. Days earlier, an officer in Washington, D.C. failed to turn on his body camera before fatally shooting Terrence Sterling. And... This past July, a law enforcer in Chicago failed to activate his body camera before fatally shooting Paul O'Neill in the back. These unrecorded killings threaten to undermine confidence in body cameras. If these cameras are only as good as the police officers and departments responsible for deploying them, then their contributions to police accountability will depend on the very people they are supposed to hold accountable. But it doesn't have to be this way. As explained in, quote, No Tape, No Testimony, a new report by the ACLU of Massachusetts and the Samuelson Law, Technology and Public Policy Clinic at UC Berkeley's School of Law, police officers and departments are not the only ones who can ensure that body cameras are used properly. Courts can do it, too. Courts 
can influence body camera usage through a tool that is unique to courts, jury instructions. Consistent with provisions the ACLU recommends that state legislators put into law, the new report proposes a model instruction that would discourage body camera mishaps by empowering juries to devalue or even disregard a police officer's testimony if, in the jury's view, the officer unjustifiably failed to record an interaction with a civilian. Courts should consider trying it for at least three reasons. First, videos have profoundly shaken public confidence in the capacity of legal proceedings to separate fact from fiction based on witness accounts alone. In Massachusetts, for example, my office represents a woman who was initially charged with assaulting a transit officer after complaining to that officer about how she was treating another woman. But there was security footage showing that the officer actually attacked our client and prosecutors dropped the case against her and began prosecuting the officer. But when video is absent, court proceedings can too often disadvantage civilians, whose claims can so easily be disbelieved when they contradict an officer's account. Second, body cameras are probably here to stay so it's important to ensure that they are used correctly. These cameras can help uncover the truth about violent police-civilian encounters and even deter violent encounters from happening in the first place. But only when they are consistently worn and activated. Third, when police officers fail to turn on body cameras before shooting someone, as happened to Keith Scott, Terrence Sterling, and Paul O'Neill, all of whom were black men, they put courts at risk of reaching catastrophically unjust results. A guilty law enforcer, someone with enormous power, could escape liability. An innocent person could be wrongfully convicted. Courts should not leave it up to the police to avoid these catastrophes. Accordingly, the model jury instruction in No Tape, No Testimony would enable courts to discourage body camera mishaps while also empowering juries to decide when these mishaps warrant consequences for the police. If the jury finds that the failure to record was unreasonable, then the instruction would authorize the jury to devalue the officer's testimony and infer that the video would have helped the civilian. If the jury finds that the failure to record was due to bad faith, like intentionally sabotaging a camera, then the jury would disregard the officer's testimony altogether. But if the jury finds that the failure to record was reasonable, for example, because the officer kept the camera off due to a department policy respecting civilian privacy, then the officer would suffer no evidentiary consequence in court. 
because it would have juries decide whether to say no tape, no testimony, this model instruction is hardly a radical proposal. In fact, in courts in eight states, Alaska, Arkansas, Indiana, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, Utah, and Wisconsin, already authorize evidentiary consequences that encourage law enforcers to record custodial interrogations of criminal suspects. Adapting this approach to the body camera would be straightforward, but it would also be profound. By issuing this instruction, state courts could improve the odds that violent police-civilian encounters will be recorded and that courts will just resolve disputes arising from those incidents. And because President-elect Trump could halt the federal government's recent attempts to improve accountability for police, the next big innovation in police-civilian relations might have to come from state courts. When appropriate, judges should allow juries to send a clear message to police witnesses. No tape, no testimony. Well, one of the best comments I've seen on this article is, if we have to piss into a cup to sit in a cubicle, cops must leave cameras running. A freaking men. There are so many intrusions into the modern American's work life. The freedom that you have is intruded upon by interveners people who get between you and your employer and say, oh yeah, by the way, it doesn't matter if Joe is great at his job and what he does. You have to tell him to piss in this cup. And if he enjoys smoking a doobie once a week at the end of a, a long work week, oh, well, he's not qualified to um, be your accountant or whatever the, the job may be. They want to run your life but they can't be bothered to be told to leave their cameras on. They think the camera isn't the next weapon for them. You've seen it, and I've seen it in these videos, where they say, you're being recorded, you know. Like it's some threat. Well, thank goodness. I would hope I'm being recorded. We're out in public. I have no expectation of privacy, and neither should the police. For them to think that their cameras are gifts from civilians so that they can catch criminals better? They've got another thing coming. Those cameras they wear are just the first of many chains the people are putting on the police. We will have justice. We will have accountability, whether they like it or not. And the ACLU is absolutely right. No tape, no testimony. Welcome to Cop Lock Radio. Hour number two begins now. Big changes happening in Cop Lock. You need to know about it if you are someone who follows 
copblock.org. Maybe you want to get involved with Copblock. It's easy. It's a decentralized group of individuals. You could hold a camera and record your local police and up, upload stories to the website. Or you could be more involved, like Joshua Scott Hotchkin, who writes this article. As the individual cop block contributors adapt, evolve, and grow, we have decided to make some changes to reflect our goals, strengths, and to represent some of the requests by our most loyal supporters. While the cop block network has a rather nomadic and sporadic list of contributors, there's always someone putting in hard work. Aside from the folks filming police and writing articles or creating other content, there are some people who have their hands occupied pretty much full-time. Kelly and Dylan continue to act as editors, a role which requires vast amounts of coordination to review, correct, and schedule articles to be published and then shared on social media, as well as many other tasks, like creating content and keeping up with direct action. Ademo still contributes content, but has spent most of his days in uh, most of his time in the past few months working behind the scenes to keep things running and make some of the changes that are coming. I, Joshua Hodgkin, and this is Derek speaking, reading Joshua's article, will be joining him in Colorado in early 2017, where we will start from scratch with a new cop block radio show. We're also looking at doing podcasts and more in-studio video content, as well as public interactions. We hope to create a de facto cop block headquarters where others can join us for varying amounts of time to make awesome new content. We are excited about stretching our creativity and message through new mediums, as well as evolving those messages themselves organically through public content. In the meantime, there are some changes you might be noticing at our Facebook page, or will be soon. Counter Current News is no longer an affiliate, and their articles will no longer be featured on the page. While we admire and respect their right to publish whatever they want, when and however they want, we do not feel their content is consistent with our goals. Personally, I want to cultivate an audience interested in ideas and critical thought, and my criticism is that CCN pandered to the outrage junkies and their insatiable thirst for victim porn. And the virtue signaling politicized everything in ways that I found not just unhelpful, but as working against something more creative and ambitious. They've also There have also been many requests for us to share stories of police abuse from the mainstream media, and after thinking it over, we've decided to give it a shot. Although there is a concern that helping to perpetuate the same perspective that helps drive the police state may work against us, we are interested to see if we can find a balance that avoids the worst of that while providing sources to that the public trusts to supplement our own content and goals. We will also try to weave more of the various local cop block chapters into our Facebook page and host more live interactions between cop block network members, contributors, and readers. We hope to have at least one Ask a Cop Blocker a week, or more if it's popular, 
although this will be for sharing and cultivating ideas and understanding, not an open invite for trolls to make the same eight accusations and claims over and over again. In fact, I hope to cultivate an atmosphere less conducive to combativeness on all sides, which means both the cop block should die and cops should die people will have to get, will have a place, will not have a place, excuse me, let me read that sentence again. In fact, I hope to cultivate an atmosphere less conducive to combativeness on all sides, which means both the cop block should die and cops should die people will not have a place in our evolving format. There's a lot of negatives in that sentence. It's really hard to work out. But basically, I think he's trying to say he wants inclusiveness and um, wants people to be peaceful. I will coordinate new content to go on the page. So if you have a cop block chapter, want to help research news and share it with me to potentially post and have other ideas, find me on my Facebook author page and share to my wall. As changes occur and people evolve, sometimes it comes time to part ways. Whether it is past contributors who have decided to see things differently or readers who do not appreciate the changes over the last seven years, we lost a few along the way and we will continue to lose many more. No big deal. You do your thing. We'll do ours. See you on the field. But as the creativity of a core group continues to grow and evolve, we hope to transcend even our own expectations and reach out into the tentacles of thinking upon whether the police of, of into the tentacles of thinking upon which the police state is built. Below the police state is a far more complex and often sinister network of premises and assumptions that we must also address if we hope to make lasting changes. We have to pull the thing out by its roots. But nobody has done that yet. Challenge accepted. Okay, pretty cool pretty cool article, Josh. I am excited for the future of Coplock. Uh, what is to come at coplock.org. Sounds like a lot of great videos and podcasts and fun stuff are in the works. So I'm excited to be a part of it. And uh, yes, that this means that I also will be retiring from Cop Block Radio at the end of this year. In fact, I think I only have three episodes left. So if you've been a fan, uh, you can find me, Derek J. Freeman, on my Facebook page and follow me there. I've got lots of other fun things going on at TheDerekJ.com. So I... I you know, I will be continuing to talk about police accountability and following the stories at Coplock and bringing you the news that I think matters the most about what's going on in your world and how you can hold police accountable with apps like Cell 411 or um, Peacekeeper. <clears throat> All right. Next, we have a very fun story. The drug, st- <laughs> the drug war... Is state-sanctioned rape? Hmm. By Lorelai McFly. Lorelai writes, This is the second article in a series on how the war on drugs is state-sanctioned theft, rape, murder, and class warfare. Read part one, theft, at copblock.org. This is part two. State-sanctioned rape. The Department of Justice defines sexual assault as, quote, any type of sexual contact 
or behavior that occurs without the explicit consent of the recipient. If you've been following Coplock for any length of time, you've probably come across the concept of self-ownership, the idea that you have, or should have, complete autonomy over your own person. Treating people as state property who should not be allowed to make adult decisions about what they do with their bodies, such as taking drugs or not, violates this concept. However, the drug war also literally violates our bodies by subjecting them to invasive searches and procedures with the goal of finding and confiscating illegal drugs. Under any other circumstances, non-consensual groping of other people's private parts is a vile criminal activity, but slap on a magic suit and badge and suddenly it's a public service. Cop apologists are morally bankrupt, unquestioning authority junkies, but it still boggles the mind that anyone, even they, can defend this loathsome practice. It's also astounding that more people do not connect the dots between a profession that actively trains people to commit sexual assault and codifies it as an expected duty and the high rate of sexual offenses committed by the people in that profession. <laughs> Law enforcement att attracts sickos. Whoops. Hey, I missed the intro because I was distracted. <laughs> so welcome back to Cop Block Radio. Um, sharing a story about the drug war is state-sanctioned rape, and indeed it is. Under any other circumstances, groping people uh, would be considered criminal. But these cops, you know, they wear a special badge and they have a uniform, so clearly it's not a sexual assault. Uh, even though, by definition, yeah, it absolutely is. So does law enforcement attract sickos inclined to commit sexual assault, or does it merely normalize it for those conditioned to commit it as part of their ordinary activities? Both? <laughs> like, my body, my choice? Nope. You're just a piece of state property, according to them. But of course... They're wrong. You're much more than that. Pathetic dopes and mental defectives rationalize that police violating our bodies is justified by the off chance that they might find contraband. But what is the bar here? What is the cutoff for unacceptable levels of groundless sexual assault? Is it acceptable for 50% of the people law enforcement subjects to those disgusting and humiliating cavity searches to not have any legally substan illegal substances on them? Is anyone tracking how many times cops are doing this and the outcome? Seeing how no government agency is even tracking how many people cops kill each year, it's doubtful one of them is definitively tracking how many they grope and the outcomes. We do have some statistics courtesy of Radley Balco. Quote, Studies and surveys at the time of 1930 showed that 80 to 85 percent of women similarly detained or subjected to body cavity searches turned out to be innocent. By the end of the decade, 
a New York Times survey of suspected drug mules subjected to x-rays or forced defecation found that in Miami, agents searched 101 people and found drugs on 67 of them. In New York, 187 searches yielded 90 arrests. Houston was particularly inept. Agents there went four for 60. Nationally, the figures were about 50-50. One innocent person subjected to this sort of violation for every drug mule was apparently good enough for the drug war. We also know that power-tripping cops are not above conducting these searches based solely on petty vindictiveness. Take, for example, the infamous 2013 case in New Mexico, where Deming police officers Bobby Orsoka, Robert Chavez, and Officer Hernandez, and Hidalgo County deputies David Arenando, Robert Rodriguez, and Patrick Green used rolling through a stop sign as a pretext for kidnapping 63-year-old David Eckert and taking him to the hospital without a valid search warrant and subjecting him to 13 hours of invasive searches, including two rectal exams, three enemas, two x-rays, and a colonoscopy. Eckert's lawyer contended, quote, Maybe the officers who did this don't like him living in their community. He's a white boy, a scraggly white boy, and these officers are Hispanic. It's a New Mexico thing. Here are the account of the events. Quote, A lawsuit claims that Deming police tried taking Eckert to an emergency room in Deming, but a doctor there refused to perform the anal cavity, citing it was unethical. But physicians at the Gila Regional Medical Center in Silver City agreed to perform the procedure a few hours later. Eckert was admitted. While there, Eckert was subjected, and I like, I hate when they use the last names of these people. I want to use his first name to humanize him. David. While there, David was subjected to repeated and humiliating forced medical procedures. A review of David's medical records, which he released in, um, to the news agency, and details in the lawsuit show the following happened. One, Gila, typically pronounced Gila. Gila. Oh, okay, whatever. Gila. Um, this was Gila Regional Medical Center in Silver City. The following happened. One, Eckert's abdominal area was x-rayed. No narcotics found. Two, doctors then performed an exam of David's anus with their fingers. No narcotics were found. Three, doctors performed a second exam of David's anus with their fingers. No narcotics were found. Doctors penetrated David's anus to insert an enema. David was forced to defecate in front of doctors and police officers. David watched as doctors searched his stool. No narcotics were found. 
Five. Doctors penetrated David's anus to insert an enema a second time. David was forced to defecate in front of office in front of doctors and police officers. David watched as the doctors searched his stool. No narcotics were found. Six. Doctors penetrated David's anus to insert an enema a third time. David was forced to defecate in front of doctors and police officers. David watched as doctors searched his stool. No narcotics were found. Seven. Doctors then x-rayed David again. No narcotics were found. And finally, eight. Doctors prepared David for surgery, sedated him, and then performed a colonoscopy where a scope with a camera was inserted into David's anus, rectum, colon, and large intestines. No narcotics were found. To add further insult to injury, the hospital then sent David a bill for $6,000 for their forced services and threatened to send him to collections for not paying. Good thing David received a $1.6 million settlement in January of 2014. He's released a written statement at the time. We'll read it when we come back to Cop Block Radio. So David here, he received a $1.6 million settlement in January after these monsters violated his body in the most inappropriate ways and then sent him a bill. He said after the settlement, quote, I truly hope that no one will be treated like this ever again. I felt very helpless and alone on that night. Remember, his only crime was rolling through a stop sign. How many of us have done that? How many of us could be in the same position as David? Rectal exams, colonoscopies, forced enemas and defecation in front of police officers and doctors taken from your family held without charge released with a bill well he likely had a resurgence of that feeling of helplessness upon learning that the sadistic cops who subjected him to that ordeal were still being supported with his tax dollars Quote, New Mexico Watchdog has learned that at least three police officers involved in the case are still on the job, while the status of the other three remains a secret. Deming Police Chief Brandon Giganti told New Mexico Watchdog all three officers in his department who were listed as defendants in a subsequent lawsuit are on active duty. Giganti uh, wouldn't say why or reveal if the officers were disciplined. Three members of the Hidalgo County Sheriff's Office were also listed in the lawsuit, but county officials refused to answer any questions about their status 
in the aftermath of the case involving Lordsburg, New Mexico resident David Eckert. Yeah, so you don't have a right to know. You can't know. They can rape you. They can stick their fingers up your asshole, but you can't know if they're still working. You you can't call up and say, hey, is am I still paying this guy's salary? You're not allowed to know. That's not your right. They don't care about you. See, because they're robbers, okay? Like, you don't get to demand things of robbers. A guy who comes into your house and, and takes your money, rapes your wife, you don't get to say, oh, hey, uh, by the way, are, what, what are you doing with that money? They're fucking criminals. We've also seen a flurry of cases over the last year because uh, cases we've only learned about through the lawsuits innocent taxpayers are paying as a result of sicko cops getting their demented jollies. Charniza Corley, a 21-year-old African-American, was subjected to a forced vaginal search in the parking lot of a Texas gas station on June 21st, 2015, because a Harris County Sheriff's deputy claimed he smelled marijuana. When he didn't find any in her car, the deputy, quote, called a female deputy to conduct a cavity search. When the female deputy arrived, she told Charnisa to pull her pants down Charnisa protested because she was cuffed and had no underwear on. The deputy ordered Charnisa to bend over, pulled her pants down, and began to search her. Then, according to Kamak, not sure who that is, that hasn't been brought up in this in this quote then according to someone charnisa stood up and protested so the deputy threw her to the ground and restrained her while another female was called in to assist when backup arrived each deputy held one of charnisa's legs apart to conduct the probe On October 2nd, 2014, Lakia Hicks and Elijah Pontoon were in Hicks's car just a couple of blocks from downtown Aiken, South Carolina, when they were pulled over by Officer Chris Medlin of the Aiken Department of Public Safety. Hicks was driving. She had recently purchased the car, Lakia Hicks, so it had temporary tags. In the video... Officer Chris Medlin asks Lakia to get out and then tells her that he stopped her because of the prop paper tag on her car. This already is a problem. There's no law against temporary tags in South Carolina so long as they haven't expired. Rather than letting, him, letting them go when the tag's checked out, Chris orders both occupants out of the car searches it, and when he finds nothing, tells a female officer to Hicks, real good. 
The personal search of Hicks is conducted off-camera, but according to the complaint filed by Phillips, it allegedly involved exposing Hicks's breasts on the side of the road in a populated area. The complaint also alleges that this was done in direct view of the three male officers. That search, too, produced no contraband. Chris and another officer then proceeded to conduct a roadside anal probe on Elijah Pontoon, who protested that the object they're pressing on was actually a hemorrhoid. With no contraband and no traffic violation to justify the stop in the first place, Chris concluded the stop by giving Lakia a, quote, courtesy warning. Although, according to the complaint, there's no indication of what the warning was actually for. Perhaps it was to warn to steer clear of police officers in Aiken. Video of this incident is below, and I'll play that for you now. Take a listen. Turn this out on Wall Street. Let's see your uh, license and bill sale, please. Where's your license at? We're going to go stop the store just here today, going to go up. Leave your phone for a second. Leave your phone for a second. The video's a little long and the audio's bad, but suffice it to say, you can watch the video on coplock.org, and um, it's, it's more visual than audio anyway. In 2013... Kimberly Carbone of Pennsylvania allegedly didn't use her turn signal and found herself, quote, arrested for driving under the influence without having a sobriety test administered. And the officers conducted a pat-down in search of the vehicle that found nothing. According to the lawsuit, once at the Lawrence County Correction Center, Carbone was strip-searched and forced to bend over, spread her buttocks, and cough before two corrections officers made the claim that they saw a plastic bag protruding from her vagina. Kimberly was then instructed to prod her personal areas by inserting her fingers into her vagina, bend over, spread her buttocks, and cough again as she was crying hysterically. No drugs were found at the jail. And so the law enforcers sent Kimberly to Jameson Hospital for an internal examination of her body cavities for a possible overdose, rectal packing, and or oral intake of a controlled substances. In all of these cases, no drugs were found. So what happens to these guys? Well, we'll find out next. The drug war is state-sanctioned rape. And you don't need more evidence than just a couple of these stories 
that I've shared with you over the past few minutes, but they go on and on. If you want to look for more of these, they are literally all over the place. You just got to... Drug war, rape, drug war... Uh, what's, what's it called? I don't know. What do they call these? Invasive searches? They all have uh, silly names for them so that they can hide what they really are, which is rape. They're, they're penetrating you. They're penetrating your, your body. You own your body. These people are criminals. And it's not going to be put up with much longer. People can see this for what it is. Yeah, maybe in the 1930s, you know, it, it was 100 people in, in Chicago or New York or wherever. But now, if there's video, if, if we're sharing these stories, just by the act of, of witnessing it, that's why they want, criminals only want to hide in the dark. They only want to do their crimes when other people can't see them. They don't boast their crimes. This is why they turn their cameras off. So by exposing these stories as we are on Cop Block and as you are when you share on Facebook, that is what is going to change the entire culture against police. And in favor of independence, self-reliance, and building networks with your own community. So in all the cases I mentioned, no illegal drugs were found. And of course, that only matters if you're the kind of emotionally stunted dolt who believes that shoving your hands into someone else's vagina or anus is a lesser evil than respecting their individual autonomy about whether or not to ingest substances deemed off-limits by D.C. bureaucrats. Ordinarily, Victims have the right to defend themselves against an assault, but when cops are the assailants, you just have to take it and then file a report and a lawsuit later. Or risk arrest and death on top of the indignity you've already suffered. If rape culture exists, there is no higher expression of it than police culture. Part 3, The Drug War is State-Sanctioned Murder, is coming Monday morning. Stay tuned for that at copblock.org. And finally, our final story of the night, the big lie. Criminals are anti-police. Are they? Joshua Scott Hodgkin writes at copblock.org earlier today, the public perception that criminals and cops are necessarily opposed is an inaccurate portrayal of the complex social dynamics between individuals and the police state. Y'all just hate cops because you're a bunch of criminals. Guzzle. Ah, that old moldy chestnut. It's the go-to reasoning for the most adamant police supporters as to why anyone would dare to question policing. Must be a criminal. This colossal mischaracterization completely ignores the fact that many reformed criminals are themselves adamant police supporters. 
On top of this, the endless laws we are subjected to mean that even the average person who has not yet been criminalized breaks about three laws a day. So, we're all criminals. Therefore, not all criminals are anti-police, but the anti-police are all criminals. And in this, we find the true distinction between the kinds of individual criminals who do or do not support the police, those who were guilty of actual crimes versus those who criminalized who were criminalized unnecessarily by our laws and their enforcement. For instance, most people whose crimes have an actual victim come to feel remorse for what they've done. Along with this remorse often comes a reversal of values, which makes the remorseful criminal side with the police. On top of this, jails and prisons often institutionalize criminals and condition them towards acceptance of authoritarians. Just as many inmates turn to the old prison religion, so do they often turn to the religion of statism. As though penance is solid reasoning to support the oppressors. Of course, there are those criminals who had actual victims that do not experience remorse, nor do they support authority or police. These are the people whose situation in life, whether due to their own traumatic abuse or to the conditions foisted on the lower classes, criminalized them circumstantially from early on. The poorest of people who turned to crime because their communities had been decimated by government decrees like the war on drugs are less likely to feel remorse because they had fewer chances to escape their outcomes thanks to the very same system now punishing them. Among Anim- I don't know this word. <laughs> I'm really struggling. Among animalistically deviant individuals... Uh, wow. Let me try this real slow. <clears throat> Among animalistically deviant individual criminals, you will invariably find sociopaths. These sociopaths will make great gestures of support for police simply as a way of creating illusions to protect themselves. By aligning themselves with police, they hope to create a perception of themselves that throws people and police off their scent of their own criminal tendencies. They might be the loudest of all police supporters, simply because they have the most to benefit from such rhetoric. Some of the most deviant criminals of all seem to really be into the cops. Serial killers often play games in order to keep the police's attention. And most confessions of the ghastliest of crimes come from those who are telling police because they want to be accepted and liked by them. Since most of them were themselves victims of violent abuses in their youth, police represent a strength 
that was never there to protect them when they needed it. A strength they longed for and have to and have had to commit their own atrocities to try to possess for themselves. The criminals who are anti-police are those who live lives or those whose lives were negatively impacted over petty laws enforced by petty authoritarians. The individuals criminalized by the system for victimless crimes are very likely to become disillusioned of the system and its players. And rightly so. When the system and when the system and its enforcers create victims of peaceful them. When the system and its enforcers create victims of peaceful people by criminalizing them, it is perfectly reasonable for those victims to reject their abusers. And this is where anti-police sentiment is actually born. Not by violent criminals who are mad they got caught, but peaceful people who are mad that their lives were turned inside out for no reason but to appease the laws and to profit those laws' benefactors, police, and the ruling class. I, the author of the article, who is Josh Hodgkin, fit squarely into this category. I have a small record of petty crimes in which I never actually victimized anyone. But, nonetheless... I have spent a few weeks of my life in an unbearable cage and then had even more time, resources, and opportunities taken from me as a result. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, saying he's not anti-police because he's immoral, but because they are. This has been Cop Block Radio. We'll do this again next week. Peace.